First, none of us wants to feel pain, and we're especially protective when it comes to our children. But what if your child couldn't feel any pain? That's a rare condition that so far has been diagnosed in only a handful of people. And as Juju Chang tells us, what sounds like a blessing turns out to be a curse. In many ways, Gabby Gingras is a typical seven-year-old girl. She goes to gym class with other third graders, loves playing board games. Okay, a miscellaneous three and idolizes her older sister, Katie. But in one very dangerous way, Gabby is not a typical little girl. She can't feel pain and is at constant risk of badly hurting herself. She's wearing a helmet and those goggles for a reason, but we'll get to that in a minute. This video was taken as part of a documentary called A Life Without Pain when Gabby was four. Here, she bangs into the sharp corner of a table. Just keeps on going. And see how unfazed she is when this dog collides with her? For the first four months of her life, Gabby was the perfect little baby. It wasn't until she started teething that her parents, Steve and Trish, noticed some odd behavior. I was massaging Gabby's gums one day, and she bit down on me ungodly hard. And when I pulled my finger out of her mouth, I pulled the tooth out of her mouth. She's just happy playing like, uh, like nothing happened. It was as if she didn't even feel it, and that was just the beginning. The four-month-old would teeth on anything, plastic toys, hardcover books, even her own fingers, until they were bloody. She damaged them so badly, it really looked like raw hamburger. It was that chewed up and mangled. She would also chew on her tongue like it was bubblegum. It was bizarre and frightening. Steve and Trish brought Gabby to doctor after doctor. For months, specialists tested the baby for everything, from metabolic Thank diseases you. to... Thank you, April. So we are now starting a, our sermon series on pain, death and pain, and suffering. And we will, like I said, we will be framing our series using the book uh, by Philip Yancey called Where is God When It Hurts? Now, the book provides us with a guide well, uh, as like a framework, and like I said, Pastor Fritz and I will hopefully complement it with uh, scripture to elaborate on the points that were made on the book. Now, to being in the series, like, um, we have to first of all look at what Philip Yancey calls, like, we have to look at pain in itself. Uh, so first of all, we have to remove whatever we think about pain right now and just to look at the essential parts about pain, like what is the role of pain? So if you're going, going to go into this book, uh, the first uh, four or five chapters, is four and a half actually, will explain, you'll notice that he gives a really good uh, explanation of the different roles, <laughs> sorry, roles, <laughs> roles of pain. Like uh, why do we even have it in the beginning for physiological reasons, right? So, uh, so this morning, we need to look at the pain in itself and also, you know, I, hopefully, I could provide both a uh, physiological one and a scriptural one on why did God give us pain? So that's this morning. Why, do, why does God give us pain? Right? Because why do I say that? Like, uh, because it kind of sounds like, what? He gave us pain? And uh, I go, yes, he does. Because uh, he is, if we, could acknowledge, if we are Christians and we have to believe that he is the master, right? And he is the creator, and he built our bodies right now. He built us this human body with senses, with uh, sensories. And so therefore, first of all, let's just uh, try to, this morning, unpack why did God give us pain? 
And so the first chapter of Philip Yancey's book begins with the, uh, the title, The Gift of Pain. And I'm going to title the same way for this sermon. It's The Gift of Pain. Pain as a gift. So, okay, wait. Uh, how many of us don't like pain? Right? How many of us have taken Tylenol before? Yes. How many of us have taken things that are stronger than Tylenol before? <laughs> right? The legal kind. <laughs> Anesthetics or something like that, right? You know, when, the, when a dentist, you know, you're taking out your wisdom teeth or something, they would put you down in anesthesia, right? So pain for us, naturally, pain is bad, right? But Yancey writes, well, yeah, pain is bad, but also pain is essential for us, just like uh, eyesight and good circulation. I'm not quite sure why I'm slurring today. So beginning, he quotes, pain is not an afterthought or God's great goof. Rather, it reveals a marvelous sign that serves our bodies well. Pain is an essential to a normal life, it could be argued, as eyesight or even good circulation. Without pain, as we shall see, our lives will be fraught with danger and devoid of many basic pleasures. Now, uh, if you are, uh, have a way to, uh, these PowerPoint slides are available, like uh, if you have a way to uh, print out these notes, that's great. You can underline this, uh, actually what he says. Even though it is like, um, it's painful, it's actually essential, he says, at the last line. Without pain, I hope, I hope wait, one of these, uh, like you could highlight this, without pain, our lives would be, what he says, what, what, what did he say? Fraught with danger and devoid of many basic pleasures. So what does he mean by that? Well, I have a story to share with you. And uh, those with kids, <laughs> Susan, I'm sure yeah, you can relate. Uh, the, like, one time Annabelle just turned two. Yeah, two, she was two. And uh, she started opening drawers, cabinets, you know, anything that's like this high, <laughs> that's really available, she, you know, and then she starts to open drawers, you know, opens everything, right? One night uh, when Rosanna was away, uh, she's, I heard her yelling and screaming, like crying, right? And I thought, oh my goodness, she must have closed one of the doors on her hand, right? So I rushed over, and then uh, she go, and then uh, I just looked at her, and, and apparently she's just crying because, and she kept on repeating to me and to, to herself, going, I can't seem to close this door. You know, it's so frustrating. She's like trying to close this door, it's not closing all the way in. And then, and then at the same time, she yells out, owie, right? Closing, yet yells out, owie, right? And lo and behold, I figured it out. She actually had, had her right hand trying to close the door, but her left hand is blocking the way. So she's literally like closing it on her hand. So then she could, and then one time, so then she was saying, how come it hurts so much? <laughs> right, as she kept on closing on the door, right? And then, okay, so as a father, I just stayed there for two minutes and just watching it, you know, entertaining myself, <laughs> right? But then I, I, I eventually stopped her because, you know, her piano career might end quite quickly. So, you know, like uh, right then and there, like uh, we noticed that pain is essential. To like for the first point that Yancey said, right? Pain is supposed to keep us away from danger, right? Further danger, like Annabelle like closing on her on her own hand and saying, "How come it hurts so much?" Right? It's the same way as us. Pain is supposed to prevent us or keeps us from further hurt or further damage. That's one. And uh, if you read Yancey's book and if you're familiar with scripture. Uh, there's one particular disease, age-old disease, that, uh, is, uh, that prevents people from feeling pain. And, uh, and you might know it, it's leprosy, 
right? Remember what leprosy is. Leprosy is a disease that prevents people, a person, feeling pain. So then uh, uh, there are many science, uh, science cases, uh, like medical cases, uh, and know it like uh, identifying people with uh, that have leprosy, they don't have limbs. They're missing fingers, missing arms, etc. Well, it's not because the leprosy actually made it the arm fall off. No, it's because they because they can't feel pain. There are times when they're cooking that, that they wouldn't even know that their hand is burning off if their hand was on the stove. There are times that when uh, like the, a child would step through the fire, they wouldn't even know, and then suddenly they, it just gets burned off. Um, there was one case in uh, Yancey's book uh, where he was in Africa and uh, the, he was noticing the, a, f a lot of children with missing fingers. And it was because the mice were gnawing them off. But they couldn't feel it, so they just didn't move. They didn't shove the, shoot them away. They just couldn't feel it, and then that's why they're missing their fingers. So pain, there you, there, there's that one point that Yancey made. Pain is to prevent us from further hurt or damage. Uh, it's to keep us from uh, having a fraught, like he says, with danger. Lives are fraught with danger. Okay, how about basic pleasures, though? Remember his second point? He says that pain also provides basic pleasures. Well, his argument is basically uh, based on our senses, right? How can, they, how can you not have um, like, uh, the feeling of touch, the feeling of softness, the, the, your sense of smell, and all those sensories uh, if you say, I don't want pain? Because it's the very sensories that, provided you, that gave you pain that at the same time gives you these pleasures, right? So he says that like, uh, if we don't have pain, well, you're just basically it's saying that if you don't want pain, then you don't want your sensories. And if you don't want your sensories, it means that you don't want the basic pleasures that sensories give you. Taste, smell, you know, all those things. You know, or touch, the kiss, a hug, or a holding of the hands. You don't feel those things. And like the, this uh, girl that we saw uh, on the news, she doesn't feel those things. So how can she sense the, that pleasure? He also said freedom, like uh, um, freedom to do things. For all of us who are musicians, uh, piano players, etc., how can we play the piano or, or like, uh, be an artist if we can't feel the pressure of the keys, right? We just said, so he says, if there was no pain, there won't be that. There won't be freedom, there won't be pleasure. I also would like to add one thing for myself and for some of you who are athletes, right? Uh, or bought, like uh, working out at the gym or stuff like that. If we don't have pain, how can we endure and how can we find achievement? Right? Like, think about it. If we work out or we do sports, if we endure, I still remember Annabelle, you know, trying to um, play basketball and, and then trying to make her arms stronger. <laughs> so she keeps on throwing the ball and then her arms hurt. But then, but then suddenly when she realizes that she's getting stronger and then she could throw the basketball and like actually higher, she feels a sense of achievement. So without pain, there's no sense of achievement either, right? There's no pivot marks, right? Like us like, uh, who go up for the gym, like, uh, and you add another 10 pounds uh, to your weight list or something, right? Like, uh, how can you not have that sense of achievement, that pleasure of achievement, without pain? So those two points is what Yancey made in that book. Now, he made more elaboration of it, but, so go and read it, but uh, that's about his two chapters. Theologically, though, scripturally, why is there pain? Why did God give us pain Biblically, we now know the physiological, right? Pleasure and uh, you know prevention of danger. That that's what the body is made for. 
But how about in Scripture, though? Like, what, why does God give us pain there? Because if you notice, a lot of times uh, how we as Christians explain pain away is that we just say, well, pain is just the result of the fallen world. But is it really just entirely that? Or did God actually provide us with pain for something good too? Right? So if you have your Bibles with me, let's turn to a very popular passage. And this passage is found in Psalm 23. A lot of you memorized it, right? But let's uh, read it. Uh, so follow along with me. And uh, if you have your Bibles or on your phones, flip it there. And uh, let's read it together. I'll read it. You follow. Okay? Psalm 23, uh, verses 1 to 6. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Underline. Okay? Underline that. Really focus there. I lack nothing. Because it's really important, right? He, he said it right in the beginning. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Okay, let's go on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Underline make. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So underline all those verbs if you can. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, underline, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Right? Like, if this was a Pentecostal church, you would say, Amen. Right away. Okay. All right. Let's dissect this very popular psalm, okay? I told you to figure out a way to unline or just take notice of the verbs. Right? Now, if you were in grammar, like uh, these verbs are what, active or passive? Because, it, okay, so if David wrote this psalm, okay, if it's the person that wrote the psalm, is it active or passive? Is the writer doing the verbs, or is, it, he's he, is he acting it out, or is something acting on him? Acting on him, so that's passive. You, you follow? Okay. So all these verbs are done on him. Okay, you follow? It's not him doing them. So, but, but how are these done, though? How are these verbs done on him? What, is it, what tools is God using to do those verbs on him? The rod and the staff. You follow? It's the rod and the staff. Like God is using the rod and the staff to do all this stuff, right? To comfort him, to guide him, to lead him, to, like, and to assure him that he lacks nothing. It's the rod and the staff, right? So it's interesting that in light of the rod and the staff, David immediately says, I lack nothing because of it. Because you are a shepherd, and we all know what shepherds do, rod and staff, whack, whack, hook, hook, right? Right? He lacks nothing. So he goes, in light of your shepherdliness, in doing your shepherd job, I find I lack nothing. So, and we all, so before we go into that, just, just take note of that. It's because God is doing his shepherd stuff that he lacks nothing. And so what is that shepherd stuff? We will go into that, right? But rod and staff, that's stuff that we're familiar with, right? Like if you've ever seen any videos, like they're quite, they, they inflict pain. 
So how does David see rod and staff, providing that he lacks nothing in light of God's rod and staff, and he finds all those passive verbs in the rod and staff? Well, let's go step by step, shall we? So let's look at, let's move on to Psalm 23, verses 3 to 4. So he goes like this. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. So that is, so again, what, it's this that rod and staff, the shepherdliness. So I looked it up. I did some research on, on this rod and staff. And uh, I, d I did a lot of Google videos and, you know, trying to figure these out. And uh, also read my theological books, of course. Don't worry, I'm a pure pastor. I would do my diligence and not just refer to YouTube videos, right? And uh, yes, the rod is just a straight rod. Uh, and sometimes it's a, it looks like a little whip. And what happens is just that it's just a tap or a, a nudge. Like this is how you lead the, the sheep. The hook, the staff, it has a, is, a, is a stick with a hook on it. And you know what? It, it, it's, for, it's to pick up sheep by its neck or by its belly, depending on how big the sheep is. Is sheep plural or sheep singular? Both. OK, thank you. So <laughs> pick up the sheep. Uh, and if, it, uh, if the sh sheep falls into the hole or something like that, or goes uh, astray. Because apparently sheep, like uh, I looked it up, sheep have ADD. <laughs> like uh, they, get, they, they get distracted quite easily. Uh, like they see something, oh look balloons, and they just go over there, right? So like, uh, so to, because sheep is, they just lose so much focus that they need the rod and they need the hook, right? And if they fall, the uh, the shepherd would pick them up with the hook. So that's the rod and the hook, and uh, and I just noticed like uh, if you watch it, like I said in the earlier, it does inflict pain. There's pain involved in both the rod and the staff. So it's interesting that uh, David says in the right in the beginning, the role of pain for him is to A, to guide us on the right path, right? That's what God uses, is to guide us on the right path. But B, it's to actually, how does he find comfort in the rod and staff? Is that it actually assures him that God is there. You follow? That God is there. That nudging, the hooking, and everything. Think about it. Just, just think about it. It assures us that God is actually with us. The pain actually assures us that God is with us, that he is present. Because if you didn't feel the nudging or the hooking or the saving of using the hook, then you go, okay, where is God? Or the sheep would say, where's the shepherd? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? If you're going to the, the like, uh, remember, David says he's like a sheep that's going in the darkest valley. And then he goes, but if you don't sense that there's no nudging or hooking, okay, where, where's the shepherd again? Is he with us or is he not? Right? There's like no comfort in that. You follow? All right. Let's blast back. That's enough with the rod and staff. Let's blast back. Verses two to three. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So with his rod and staff, God, David says, God, you use your rod and staff and you make me lie down in green pastures. He uses his rod and staff to go pop or something, right? And make you sit down. I've seen that happen, okay, on one of the YouTube videos that a shepherd in the Middle Eastern uh, 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 provinces he actually whacks the guy's butt, you know, whacks the sheep's butt in order to, for them to sit down. I'm sure that we train our dogs the same way by just, you know, pushing the, their butt down, right? You know, to stay or sit or lie down, <laughs> right? So I'm like, so I'm like, wow. Okay, so David's, uh, he's a shepherd. He knows what he's talking about. He's talking about sh shepherds, sheep, right, in this psalm. So how does God make me lie down in 
green pastures in the 21st century for me. So I reflected on this. Uh, I don't know if you ever tried to reflect on this, but on um, what you read in scripture, but I reflected on what this meant. And I realized, hmm, could it be the times when he would knock me out cold with a flu? <laughs> you know, you know, like in light of my busyness, I'm like running like a freight train and I have like a busy schedule. There's no time for anything. And then I'm just like on deadlines and like, especially in ministry, sometimes you're like overwhelmed with so much work. Right. And then I suddenly bang at the most inopportune time. I get the flu or I catch a cold or something happens. And then I'm like lying there like flat and on the on the bed and just begging for mercy or grace or just trying to get my wife to love me or something, <laughs> right? Like, take care of me, right? <laughs> um, so have you ever, has that ever happened to you? Usually at the most inopportune time when you're busy, then you suddenly you get a cold or a flu, right? I think, so then I go, maybe that's how God uses the rod and staff on me to make me lie down, to be peaceful and to experience his presence, to just slow down and stop. Maybe. The rod and staff is there to stop us, to just say, look, lie down at this green pasture in my presence and experience my presence again. Because this is how it usually happens for me. I usually go, okay, if I catch a cold in the most inopportune time, especially in ministry, I would go, why God, this is for you, jeez. Like what, you want this to fail? Right? But really, I don't want it to fail. So I always go, God, come on. Like, you can't just uh, have me like, uh, catch a cold right now. We're like, we need to, we need to get this done. But then, uh, God, then, then suddenly I realize, and I get convicted, and I repent, going, oh, what am I saying here? Right? And, then, uh, and then I look at my schedule going, yeah, I really didn't give much time for you. And I realize that that's how the Holy Spirit is working in my heart. It's just that me and him, we're just like butting heads, right? And then suddenly the Holy Spirit wins. He always does. And then uh, uh, I just realized, wow, I didn't really give much time to you, God. So in times of like uh, our struggles, in times of our, like uh, when we get hit hard with some pain or suffering or mental pain or relational pain, whatever, and suddenly we, we get hit hard, do we sometimes notice that we just stop? It's almost like just life is it. Like it just stops. Maybe that's God's way of telling us, this is how I'm going to make you lie down. Stop. Feel my presence again. Maybe it's the time when we, do, like, uh, when we are stopped that it's time for us to actually reflect, pray, and turn our eyes back to God to find those green pastures that he has just made us to lie on. Look at our, the pastures that, we have, that he just made us lie on and count on his uh, countenance. Amen? So that's uh, what I think, what David meant, he makes me lie down in pastors. And he leads me beside quiet waters. This is when he uses his rod and staff to actually stop us and lead us and say, lie down. Go to the quiet waters. Even though you're, you have a flu, right? It's your time to spend time with me, God says. Next, let's go on to five, verse five to six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. What does this passage mean in light of the rod and staff? Like, what does this passage mean in light of God's continuous guidance, presence, and deliverance for us as we journey through life? Because, um, like, let's face it, many times, so when uh, people see us that we're sick, 
or we're in pain, or we're suffering, right? People will go, oh, you're so, it, it, you're, they don't really see that you're really, uh, is this really something that, that God likes? Is God really blessing you? Is, because you definitely look like you're in pain. Like, is God really working in your life? So you ever had that question? Well, guess what? We went, we touched that before in 2 Corinthians, right? Remember how Paul, he was suffering? Right? He, and then everybody, uh, all the Corinthians looked at him going, oh man, you're so pathetic. Right? I, we're not even sure if God's with you or anything. Well, here's what Paul says. Let's just blast back to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. He said, but he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, when I'm, then I am strong. You see, for David, when he says enemies, well, if you don't know his story, this is what happened. He was, he's currently, in this psalm, he's right now currently running away from Saul. Okay? You know, uh, Saul, the one who's jealous. Like, because he thought that David's going to usurp him and take his throne. All right? So he's running away. David was a commander of armies in Saul's court. Think about it, like when David says enemies, it's not because it's not the people that he defeated, it's his peers. It's that it's he ran away, he's alone now, he and his whole armies are seeing, what the heck? Right? Like you're, why are you running away? Right? Like uh, like uh, why are you not standing up to Saul? Right? So it's like, it's that dilemma. And then he's like now in suffering and loneliness. And like, he went from high right down to low. And then everybody in the chorus were saying, what is wrong with David, right? I'm like, shouldn't God, isn't God ordained? Like, shouldn't you defeat Saul like, like this? Why are you running away? Why are you being so weak? Why are you suffering, right? So David says, in light of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. In other words, he says, what does he say? Like, uh, what does the table mean? We have to go back to, right in the beginning, how he started with this psalm. What did he say? I lack nothing. So basically, it's the table of everything. He lacks nothing. He's showing to his enemies, to all his peers, that he, yes, you may see that I'm a loser. You may see that I'm suffering, I'm in weakness. You might see that, yeah, I'm down in the dumps, or I'm sick, right, like me with a flu. You might see that everything's gonna go haywire and chaotic, but no, here God has set me a table before you and I lack nothing. You follow? I lack nothing. In light of what you're thinking, I lack nothing. By his rod and staff. God is, like a, God is you put, putting the rod and staff on me, he says, and I lack nothing. I find comfort in him because I experience his presence. I lack nothing. Verse 6. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So lastly, what is pain? What's the role of pain in, based on this uh, Psalm 23? Pain, well, the result from the rod and staff is also used as a discipline to guide us on the right path. But more than that, it is evidence to assure us that we are God's children. How do, where do I get that from? Well, if you turn to Hebrews 12, verse 5 to 8, it says this. 
And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chases everyone he accepts as his son. But then you have to pause here, okay? Is discipline only for punishment, for wrongdoing? No. Why? Go on to verse 7. Endure, what does it say? Hardship as discipline. It's not like, so discipline is not necessarily the result of wrongdoing. You follow? He says here, uh, whoever wrote this in Hebrew says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate and not true sons and daughters at all. Discipline does not necessarily mean smack, smack, you've done something wrong. <laughs> okay? Discipline can actually mean what, uh, what the Hebrews writer says is hardship. Discipline meaning training. Discipline meaning uh, developing a particular muscle called following Jesus, right? Or you could call faith, the faith muscle. Hardships can, is, helps us to work out our faith muscle. That's what discipline is. This is what Hebrews is referring to. It's not referring to punishment as in, oh, you did something wrong and go smack, right? No, discipline here is about enduring through hardship that God has given us to work out our faith muscle. That's exactly what he did to Job. We will look at that in the, latter in the next few chapters. But I'm just saying here, just to give it a tidbit, is that it was because of the hardships that Job's faith went from here to here. Right? Hardships is actually given by God too. Yes. Through the darkest valleys, who led David through the darkest valleys with the rod and staff? God. For what reason? Discipline. Not because he'd done something wrong. It's to develop a faith muscle. To work it out. To, to develop his faith in his relationship and deepen his relationship with God. So, it's, so the last thing, the last role of pain is to actually as, to be used as a discipline, to be used to work out our faith, muscle, faith to work out our relationship with God, to deepen our relationship with him and trust him like Job did. We will go into Job later. See, here's an example about uh, faith and then uh, uh, discipline and stuff like that. So often we see discipline as punishment for a wrong, but discipline can also mean a practice or a process in which we develop a skill or muscle. Um, you know, that's why I say, like uh, being led through dark valleys, like David said, was a sense of discipline. And how he felt the rod and staff was that, hey, when you're going, when we're being approached with a dark valley or an unknown, right, we don't really want to go there, especially when it comes to ministry. When there's a, God says, go and talk to that person or go to, go to serve in this area, you know, it's unknown. Now, without a part of the rod and staff, we are, like, we are like sheep. We may not want to go in there. But with the rod and staff, when we go in there, we can be assured that uh, God is with us. How is that as an example? Um, let me use one. When Annabelle holds my hand, Okay, uh, I'll just use that. It's like a, for those who don't know, Annabelle is my six-year-old daughter. When Annabelle holds my hand, I like uh, sometimes I hold it gently, right? And uh, and that is already a sense of, you know, assurance that I'm there, right? However, 
I noticed that uh, when we go through unknown areas, and one time uh, when she was uh, with me, uh, when we went to the downtown east side, I was preaching over at Richmond Chinese Mennonite, and they're located in the downtown east side area. We were walking. I noticed that, like, uh, I realized I have to hold her hand a little harder, right? She realized that, and she sensed that there was this little bit of pain, right? But it assured her, at the same time it assured her that I'm there, that I got her. You follow? And then at times when she would walk, uh, you know, along the street, like we're crossing Metrotown or something, and then she would go this way, like inadvertently go this way or that way, I would uh, hold her on there tight, even tighter, and then, uh, and then pull her a little bit. Is that, a, is that the pain? Yes. But it also assures her that I'm here. I'm with her. In life, your life, in your journey with God, do you see that like, sometimes that there's these nudges? Do you feel the incensities that there, there's these nudges? The pain, the uh, holding of the hand type of thing. Ever wonder that could it be God tugging that, tugging your hand? Ever wonder that it could be God pushing you to say, sit, stop, reflect, come back to me. Let me, allow me to put you onto quiet pastures and still waters. Ever wonder that, that maybe the, the rod and staff is not because you've done something wrong. Like it's not because that he's disciplining you. God may not be disciplining you at all, but he may be actually assuring you that he is here, that he is actually present that he's actually holding your hand a little tighter because he wants you to know that prepare you for something that may actually come at you and just want to reassure you that he's there. Follow?